Thanks so much, Judy. It's so good just to read through that whole whole story. Um, and um, yeah, we're just going to have a, uh, another message in this series that Sam started last week, which is awesome, called Missions May. And yeah, I'm not sure if you picture Jesus as a missionary, but when you hear that story, how good a story is that of a missionary encounter, that, that Jesus goes to this area in, in Samaria. It's, it's a different to where he lives and tends to be. He's, he's talking to a woman, which is someone that he wouldn't normally be found talking to, and he's having an interaction where he reveals truths about God and himself that then leads to all of these people coming to learn more and, and coming to faith as well. So what we're doing today, Sam, Sam last week um, started our series talking about just God's heart for mission, uh, that, that God himself is missional, that he initiates, he reaches out, he sends. And we'll kind of continue that theme today, but looking particularly at Jesus and Jesus as a missionary. I'm not sure if you tend to think of Jesus like that, but it's really interesting because I think he definitely saw himself in this way. We're not going to go through that whole um, story. It'd be awesome to you. There's so much in it. We're just going to kind of pick up from the end of it today and kind of think what we can learn about Jesus and his heart for mission and, and what that means for us as well. And I think what we'll see as well, sometimes we're talking about mission and missions may, and, and we're obviously talking a lot about um, yeah, people doing work overseas and in other countries and other contexts. But what I want us to see as well is that actually we're all called to be missionaries and see ourselves as missionaries, particularly as followers of Jesus, who himself is a missionary. So um, we're going to pick up right at the end of this story, um, rather than go through it all, but kind of have that, that interaction, the whole, whole interaction that Jesus just had with this woman in the back of your mind. But we're going to come and pick it up just where the disciples come in, because the disciples come in, and it's a bit awkward, because Jesus has just revealed himself right to this woman, and then it says the disciples arrived just right then. They've, they've been off getting food. The disciples arri- arrived, and what's their response, right? They're not, they're not super amazed that Jesus is, is sharing himself and revealing his identity to this woman. It says that he's surprised to f- find him talking to a woman, but no one asks, what do you want, or, or why are you talking with her? Uh, they, they come back, and they find what Jesus has been doing to be awkward and strange. Uh, Jesus is already in Samaria, uh, which is a place they probably don't really want to be. It's, it's different people. And even in that story, we see Jews and Samaritans don't really tend to mix. And then we see that he's talking to a, a woman, which is not really something that was culturally appropriate to do, particularly to be talking about theology. Like They get into this big the- theological discussion about worship and about the Messiah. That's not something that a man should be doing. So the disciples seem to be finding this a little bit strange. As, as we saw in this story, then she leaves the water jar, she goes back to the town, and she says to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. So imagine the scene, right? Jesus had just had this interaction while the disciples were gone. They come back and they just, their initial response is, this is an awkward thing Jesus has been doing, but all these people are on their way. They're, they're coming now to hear Jesus. But what Jesus has been doing is really crossing borders, literally going across, across a border into Samaria. But then he's also crossing borders by talking to a Samaritan. That's not something you'd normally do. That's a barrier. And then talking to a woman. And in many ways, that's what missionaries do. They cross borders. 
It crossed land borders often. That's kind of the, the main way we think of it. But also crossed cultural borders, societal borders. And as a missionary, Jesus crossed all different kinds of borders. Uh, we know that ultimately he came from heaven. <laughs> it's, he left heaven. Philippians says he emptied himself. He took on human form as a, as a servant. That's the ultimate, right, cross-cultural, leaving heaven and coming to earth. But then even on earth, Jesus doesn't stay in Israel. He doesn't stay among Jews. He goes to other lands and other people. He crosses borders. And he doesn't stay within the culturally accepted norms of, of conversation. He crosses. He breaks out of the status quo. And he'll speak to a, a woman because he knows that God is speaking to her. And, and she is the key to all these other people. So Jesus crosses borders. Ultimately, he, he gave up riches of heaven and came to earth. He doesn't keep the good news of the Father. He doesn't keep the good news of the kingdom even just for Israel, but he wants it spread. And that's what missionaries do. And it may not mean going overseas, or it may not mean going interstate. To, to be a missionary really means to be willing to cross borders, to break out of the status quo. And in our culture, it, the border might be simply a fence. Uh, it might be speaking to a neighbor. And actually, that can sometimes be a really big border to cross in our culture. It might be talking to someone that you wouldn't normally talk to, or that maybe it's even a little bit awkward. See, Jesus is not confined by what's comfortable and simple and accepted. He's actually willing to cross and risk and do different things for the sake of God's love. And in many ways, when we talk about God it, with people who don't have faith, it's going to be a border-crossing experience. It's going to be a cross-cultural experience because there's a whole wealth of knowledge and experience and culture that comes with coming to church and coming to faith and knowing the kingdom that people who have no background in that don't have. So even if we live in the same culture, it's still a border-crossing, cross-cultural experience. And we can't be limited to just being with people and speaking to people like us because God's heart, we see Jesus' heart, is to go to people who are different, to people who are on the margins, to people who are outside of um, the church. So one question for us then is how can we not be limited by the status quo but willing to cross borders in mission, whether land borders, literally going, which people in our church have done and are called to, but maybe simply cultural barriers or societal barriers or spiritual barriers that we're actually called to cross barriers in love as missionaries. Obviously, it doesn't mean just like destroying barriers and, and, and doing damage. Jesus is gentle with this woman, but he doesn't be, he's not confined to what's expected of him. And actually, the disciples are kind of almost a bit confused as to why he's doing that. He's not confined to their expectations. And in many ways, to cross the border then, and even in this, in this story with Jesus, it's a little bit awkward. Like, he's, she's a bit awkward. Why are you talking to me? And then they're having this interesting conversation about theology and background and stuff. But it's going to be awkward. <laughs> like, so like studying this, to, to have a cross-cultural experience, there's discomfort. There's awkwardness. To cross the border and to break out of the status quo is not going to be comfortable. But that's what missionaries are called to do. That's what Jesus is called to do and what we're called to do. We see, again, the disciples kind of, uh, I can't really see quite what's going on. Uh, the next verse says, his disciples then urged him, Rabbi, eat, eat something. They've, they've gone to get food. They're focused on the food again. 
they're not really aware of just what Jesus is doing, the significance of what's about to happen, all the people that are about to be here. They said, no, you need to eat. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And his disciples said to each other, did someone else have brought him food? Like, did Jesus pack lunch? Or did he get some food on the side somewhere? Like, they're just so focused on, on the food. And then Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Disciples are focused on physical food and physical nourishment and physical needs. Jesus, again, is focused spiritually. But he's saying that he has been incredibly nourished by this interaction with this woman because he's been doing what he's called to do. He's been faithful to what God is doing. Um, it's interesting as well because what, this is what Jesus talks about. He says that he has done the will of God in this situation. And it's, and it's been nourishing. It's his food. It's his focus. But it's an interesting line that I don't know if you, if you notice it. It's an interesting phrase that Jesus used. And I didn't ha- notice it till this week. He says it so many times in the Gospel of John, how he refers to his Father. He didn't say, I've done the will of the Father. He said, I've done the will. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And he says it again and again, it actually comes up so many times in the Gospel of John, particularly that Jesus constantly refers to the one who sent him. Jesus sees himself as sent. Um, that's so key. As a missionary, Jesus saw himself as one who is sent, because that's really what a missionary is. Um, the word mission, the root word of it, comes back to this idea of being sent. A missionary is someone who's sent to preach the gospel. And Jesus is sent by the Father. And it's so core to his identity and how he understands his mission, because his mission is to fulfill what the Father has sent him to do. That's what he's focused on. It comes up again and again in John. There's just a few examples. Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. Now, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He just says it again, and it's only a few examples. He's constantly referring to the one who sent me or that I have been sent. So Jesus' focus is not on his ministry or his will or what he's doing, but on the one who sent him, on the Father. And it's so interesting because Jesus' primarily, primary motivation then is actually not even the needs around him. There's so many needs around him. This woman has needs. Um, there's many poor people that Jesus meets their needs. But that's not his primary motivation. His primary motivation is to do the will of God, to honor the one who sent him. But as we see, the will of God is that this woman is cared for. And here's the gospel. The will of God is that the poor are healed and rescued. So Jesus is doing the will of the one who sent him. That's his core focus. And Jesus doesn't do it in his own strength. He does it by the power of the Spirit. He constantly says, I'm only doing what I see the Father doing. I'm only speaking the words of the Father. I'm speaking for the glory of the one who sent me. That's how Jesus understands himself. That, that's how a missionary thinks. He has a mission. And this story is, is obviously, this interaction is obviously made 
um, the disciples feel a bit uncomfortable. What, why is Jesus talking to a woman? They're kind of whispering. They were not going to say anything to him. They may be already complaining they're in Samaria. They say, just eat some food, Jesus. Jesus says, no, my w- food is to do the will of the one who sent me. What's Jesus saying? They, they find it strange that Jesus is in Samaria talking to a woman. Jesus is saying, I'm doing the will of God. Like, what I just did is God's will, is what he said. And in some ways, it's a bit of a correction to the disciples who maybe want things to be comfortable. And why are you breaking these borders and barriers, Jesus? He says, no, what I'm doing is the will of the one who sent me. That's his understanding. I suppose there's a lesson for us in there as well. In if we are called, like Jesus, to cross borders, to embrace discomfort and risk for mission, um, another question to ask is, is our focus on what people think and approve of or on doing the will of the Father? Because the will of the Father for Jesus looked very different to what the disciples wanted him to do or expected him to do. And if he was limited by what they approved of, he would have not have done the will of the one who sent him. The will of God may and probably will make other people feel uncomfortable. It will probably be different and not confined to what tends to be expected of us. Because God's ways are not our ways. What he wants is often much better than what we want. And it's easy to sort of think, well, actually, just what's easy and comfortable and simple and nice, that's what we'll do. But that's not what a missionary does. A a missionary says, what is God's will? What is God saying? Pack up everything and leave, go to another country. Okay, that's what you're saying to do, God. We'll we'll do that. And people have done that. People here have done that. right? But maybe it's simple. Maybe it doesn't have to be that big. It could be anything. It could be, no, I want you to stay here and I want you to serve your family. Okay, that's your will, God. I'll do whatever you're sending me to do. And Jesus does that. He, he, he is the example here of doing the will of the one who sent him. But then he pushes the disciples a bit more and reminds them that they are also sent. They need to think as missionaries because they are on mission with Jesus. Jesus speaks to them now. He says this, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage, draws a wage and harvests, harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap that which you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Maybe the disciples are a little bit awkward about what's happening. The disciples are focused on food and not really aware of the significance of what's just happened and all the people that are just about to come that they're going to need to do ministry to. So Jesus reminds them that food is not the priority right now. Priority is what God is doing and the fact that God has sent Jesus and Jesus has sent the disciples. They're on mission and people are here and they're ready. And Jesus is saying to them, hey, it's not, it's not going to happen later. It's not in a few months. It's now. Like, the harvest is here now. You need to get ready to get to work, is what he's saying to them. The disciples are also sent. They're sent to sow. They're sent to reap. It's this agricultural metaphor. And particularly in this circumstance, he says they're, they're, meant to, they're primarily here to reap that which they haven't sowed for. Jesus has been doing the work. Maybe he's referring to John the Baptist has been doing the work. There's been seeds sown, and all of a sudden there's been a seed sown in this lady, and she's told all these people, and now they're coming, and the disciples need to get ready to reap a harvest, to bring people into the kingdom, because they have also been sent. 
Jesus says this explicitly. Um, the last time in John, when he talks about being sent, he also sends his disciples and promises the Spirit. It's this great verse in John 20. After Jesus is risen from the dead, he appears to them. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the disciples are to see themselves as sent by Jesus, who is sent by the Father. And Jesus continues his mission through his disciples by the Spirit. So as Sam was mentioning before, God initiates mission. God's, the Father's heart is missional. It's for all people to come to know. So he sends Jesus, who's the expression of his heart, who dies and rises again and then ascends. And then Jesus sends his followers by the Spirit to continue this missional God's heart to bring all people to himself. And that, as disciples of Jesus, that includes us. As missionaries, we are sent out by Jesus as he was sent by the Father with the presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if you think of yourself as a missionary. You might think that's for people overseas. Or I was for a time when I left the country. But as a follower of Jesus, as someone with the Holy Spirit, we are people who are sent. And that's what it means to be a missionary. It, um, to be a missionary is to recognize that you are sent, you're a representative of Jesus, who's been sent by the Father, and you've been given the Holy Spirit. The question is not how far have you been sent. It's not that people who have been sent hundreds of, or thousands of kilometers are more legitimate missionaries. The, per the question is, who have you been sent by, and what have you been sent to do? Because if we have the Spirit, we've been sent by Jesus, and each of us has been sent to do something. That may be literally to go overseas. Um, that may be to go across the road. It may be to represent Jesus in your own home with your own kids. It may be in your workplace. It may be in a, in a, mission, in a, in a ministry. It may be at, at the markets. Uh, it could be anything. But whatever God has called us to do, it's so powerful to think this is not just something that I want to do. It's not, oh, my idea, I'm going to start a ministry. Or, or even like Jeanette said, it wasn't like, oh, we're just, we just want to sell all these things. It's like, no, God initiates this and, and sends people out. So then when you come to do this, imagine thinking of yourself, so it's Mother's Day even, as, as mothers in your home raising your child, you're there as someone sent by Jesus, who was sent by the Father to your child to raise them in the Lord. There's a, there's a missionary purpose. Um, RI started this, this week, and I was able to go down and share at Kalanga State School, which was awesome. There's lots of RI teachers around, which was really cool. And I was, and I was working on this message, and as I was sitting in the, in the office, in some ways, it's like, I'm, okay, I'm just walking in there to share a Bible lesson for half an hour with kids. That's cool. But then I was thinking about this. It's like, well, actually, I'm here, and I've been sent by Jesus, who was sent by the Father, and I have the Holy Spirit. And when I walk into this classroom, that's God's missionary heart for these kids. And it's like, whoa, that's a huge call. And, it, and that's just right there. Like, like it's not far. And, and whatever it is, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the one who has sent us, and we need to do his will. I think there's there just a few things that Jesus said to the disciples, and the way that he speaks to them about this mission. 
and, and how they are to think. That's really cool, I think. There's just a few kind of postures um, that may be not our normal postures and probably not my normal postures when I think or when maybe we come to mission. One posture that Jesus encourages the disciples to have is confidence. He says to them, don't say the harvest is in a few months. Don't, don't say it'll happen in a, in a little while. Don't, don't say just, we don't need to worry right now. That it's not harvest yet. Jesus says, no, open your eyes. The harvest is ripe. Now's the time, is what Jesus is saying. Go out with confidence that God is working and he's doing things and he's bringing people to himself. And we can sometimes, when it comes to mission, have a posture of defeat. It's, it's too hard. No one listens. No one gets saved. Uh, it's just too difficult. But Jesus is saying, no, have a posture of the harvest is here now. It, it, go out and have confidence the harvest is ripe. God is working. As well, that we can have a posture of joy. Um, Jesus uh, encourages the disciples to serve and to go out as people who are sent. And by doing that, they're going to be uh, earning a wage, he says, and they're going to be receiving eternal rewards, and they're going to be rejoicing with those who are reaping and those who are sowing. It's this, this example of joy. He's like, Jesus is joyful that all these people are coming and the disciples get to participate in this work that God is doing of winning people to himself. It's not this burden oh, of a guilty burden of we need to share Jesus with people. Like, that's not Jesus' posture. Jesus is saying this is a, a joyful thing that has reward and celebration and encouragement. So it's a posture of joy. And ultimately, a posture of humble obedience. Jesus is saying that they, the disciples get to serve and they get to reap, but it's not what they have sown. It's not their work. It's not their credit. It's not all about them. And sadly, sometimes mission can easily become about us, what we're going to do. We're going to go and do all these awesome things. But actually, we're called to simple, humble obedience. What is God sending us to do? How do we simply be faithful with that? Um, Paul, the apostle, who wrote so much of the New Testament, who planted churches, who saw Jesus risen, how does he picture himself as a missionary? This is how he talks about himself in 1 Corinthians 3, talking to the Corinthians. He says, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul, only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord assigned to each his task? I planted the seed, and Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are God's co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. It's this posture of humble obedience because God is the ultimate one who's leading, who's calling, who's serving, who's sowing, and actually, we are servants who have been given the task of sowing or reaping or laying foundation or sowing seeds that we might not see the fruit of, but God is the one at work, and we get to play a part in that. There's something interesting in what Jesus said when he said, my, will, my, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. And it's this, this, this Jesus, again, thinking about the cross, and he's talking about sowing, and the disciples will reap that which they haven't sown. And the ultimate sowing is when Jesus finishes the work from the one who sent him, the will 
of the one who sent him, which is that he would go and die. That Jesus himself would be sown in the ground like a seed that would produce a crop for a great harvest. Jesus has done the ultimate sowing and he has the ultimate victory. And then we're invited in the work of reaping and continuing to sow the seeds of the good news of that. But he is the focus. He is the one who's doing it. We get to play a part. So I guess the point is that Jesus saw himself as one who is sent. As followers of Jesus, we are to view ourselves as people who are sent. Simply even, if you're here today and you're a believer of Jesus, when today is finished, you are sent from here. Wherever you go from here, you are sent by the Holy Spirit, through Jesus, by the Father, to represent his heart in the world. It could be something significant and big. It could be something small. That's not the point. The point is to view ourselves as a missionary and think, where are we sent? So as we finish today, I just want to give you a moment, um, perhaps just to think what that might be this week. Where has God sent you? Where is he sending you? What is his will for you? How are you representing Jesus and the Father this week? And what does it look like to even be nourished by that? That that's the food to do the will of the one who sent you. So I'm just going to give you a moment, um, perhaps just to, to pray. And then before we sing, I'm just going to read a poem, um, a sort of prayer poem. That's just a beautiful picture of the fact that we just play a small part in this grand missionary enterprise that God is at work in. So I'll just give you just a minute, just in prayer. This is called Prophets of a Future Not Our Own. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is a way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant the seeds that will one day grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything. There's a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers 
not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. So Lord, we just honor you, Jesus, as ultimate missionary and one sent by the Father. We honor you as one who sends us by the Spirit. Just ask that you'd commission and send us fresh into this week as people to carry your heart, carry your message, carry your presence in our workplaces, in our schools and homes, in our ministries, in everything that happens here during the week on the property. Lord, let it not be about us and our work. Let it not be in our strength. Let us just offer what we have to you, uh, for your heart to reach all. And we just say we need you. We ask you to give us confidence and joy. Fill us with humble obedience. We just pray this in your name, Lord. And we pray that you would, you would give us grace to fulfill the things you've called us to. Give us grace to obey you, the things that are difficult, to be faithful to you, just as Jesus was. Just honor you, Lord, in your name.